God, it is never wasted time to be in your presence. Because in your presence, you do things that not, no man can do. You change from the inside out. And Father, we can fix the outside. We can fix hair and nails. And we can fix our bodies. But only God can fix the heart. And so I'm believing today that all over this place, those that are watching live on our webcast around the world, around New York City, around the tri-state area, we pray, Lord God, that, Lord, your word begins to come and do great things. You promised that when your word is spoken, it will never return void. That means, Lord God, if, if we have the responsibility to speak your word, God, then something will happen. And then you promise, if we lift Jesus up, you will draw men to you. So God, we thank you for those two promises. Your word doesn't return void, and then you draw men as we lift you up. So God, when we leave this place today, when we turn off a podcast and turn off a webcast, they're not going to say how great the music was, how great church was, how great the people were. They're going to say how great God was. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. All right, take something out to write. I'm going to I want to share with you something today that could possibly be, for life, one of, one of the most important messages that, that you're going to hear, not because it's me, but because of the concept that's there. I want to talk to you about this. I'm hurt, so what do I do now? I'm hurt, so what do I do now? I know that the one o'clock is the practical Christian living service. Can I just tell you something? Everything in the gospel is practical Christian living. Let me just tell you that, because that's important for us to understand. C.S. Lewis said these words. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have to forgive someone. So let me talk to you about probably one of the most massive moments of forgiveness that I was reading recently. Two, last week I shared um, something that Corey Temboon said um, when, I, when we talked about fear last week. Corey Timboon, for those that are visiting or for those that weren't here last week, um, was has one of the most amazing stories. Her book, The Hiding Place, is probably considered in the last 50 to 60 years probably one of the top 10 uh, great Christian books. And it was really her journey, her story on how they housed Jews running from the Nazis in Amsterdam in the name of the book is called The Hiding Place in a, a, little, a, a little makeshift closet in her room and finally the Nazis caught up with them, put her whole family in the Nazi concentration camps. Every one of them was exterminated except Corey and she went on for 30 more years to begin to preach the gospel. But what was amazing is, is that if you think about this heinous crime that was done to the Jewish people of six million Jews being exterminated by um, Nazi Germany, think of this. Think of the forgiveness load that you have to carry with that. Think of the amazing weight that that brought to it. David Jeremiah's book recounted a story that Corey told. And Corey and her family, um, as I said, she was the only survivor of it. But she became a Christian after, after, or kind of started the journey during the concentration camps. And what happened was, for the next 30 years after the concentration camps, Corey began to preach the gospel all over the world about how God miraculously delivered her. Keep this in mind, what we said at the very beginning. Forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have to forgive yourself. And one day, Corey said she was preaching in Munich, Germany, many years later, decades after the concentration camp. And at the church she was preaching, she saw a familiar face. The guard who mocked her 
and would put her in a shower almost every day to pretend she was he was going to exterminate her and was responsible for her sister Betsy's death was sitting in the church while she was preaching. Now it's not so lovely of an idea, is it? She recognized the guard, but he didn't recognize her. After service, Corey said, the guard came up and said, Fraulein, I heard you mention Ravensbrook. I was a guard there, but since those days, I've become a Christian. I know that God forgives me, but would you forgive me? She said, I stood there paralyzed. This man is a monster. He's filled us with shame. He killed my family and he killed my sister. And how could she preach forgiveness when she's staring in the face of the one who needs to forgive and she can't forgive him? And she said that she sat there at that moment in that church service and this was her prayer. Forgive me, Father, for the inability to forgive. Think of that for just a moment. Forgive me for the inability to forgive. And she said immediately something happened. This power of the Holy Spirit surged through her. She felt her hand go out, clasp his, and said to the man, you are forgiven. And she said that day, not only was the man set free, I was set free that day. Keep this in mind, Times Square Church. When you forgive, you not changing the past, but you are changing your future. Let me say that one more time. When you forgive, you're not fixing the past. It happened. But what you're changing is the future of where you go. That's why the glory of Christianity, the way Christianity conquers its enemies is by forgiving its enemies. This is what the gospel is all about. And that's why it's so important to keep in mind. One man said it this way. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Let me say that again. I need to resolve and not dissolve because forgiveness is hard. The number one marriage counseling issue that I have faced and dealt with for 35 years in counseling has not been finances or intimacy. It has been people not knowing how to resolve a conflict. The number one thing, because these things begin to live on, not knowing how to resolve an issue. And all of a sudden, they don't know how to reconcile a broken relationship. And all of us, including me, have left the trail of body parts and broken hearts because we have done and said the wrong thing and have not known how to resolve that. And we sometimes we come to church and we have left a, a whole trail throughout the week because we'd rather be right than reconcile. We would rather be seen as right than have the humility to fix the situation. They say that the hardest animal in the world to catch is called the ring-tailed monkey. And they said it's so difficult to catch, but not for the locals. They said what they realized was this. This very rare animal that doesn't appear in every zoo um, around the world, they said, has its love of these certain melon seeds. And what the locals do is they hollow out a tiny hole in a tree, just, just small enough for the monkey to stick its hands through, and they throw the seeds in there. When the monkey sticks his hand through the hole, he grabs the seeds, but will not let go when its captors come up. And when he holds on to the seeds, all he needs to do 
is let go to slide his hands out, but he won't let go and holds on to those seeds until they capture him and put him in captivity. And we live in a culture that will not let go, but will hold on for something for years and even decades. And we find ourselves being brought into captivity. I sat in a funeral here in this state on Long Island and watched somebody pull out their, their monkey hands, pull out a letter that has been in their pocket for 40 years that they have been offended at someone. This letter was so old that there were creases on it and some of it was falling apart and they wanted to show me what this one person said to them 40 years ago. And I wanted to go, let go of it monkey hands just let go of it at that point seriously you're gonna hold on to this thing for that long and this is what we do I want us to have a moment today that we are going to finally let go and see our future change today see being offended is a choice let me just say that again being offended is a choice. You don't have a choice of what people are going to do to you, but you do have a choice of whether you're going to be offended or not. See, forgiving others is really part of God's curriculum. It really is teaching us the value of how God has forgiven us. It's especially painful is when God uses the people we really don't like. Then forgiveness is tough. I can forgive my wife. I can forgive my kids. I just don't like forgiving people I don't like. Because that's what me. What? You don't like people? No, I love them in Jesus' name. That's what we always say. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Which means I don't like you. See, what happens is, and that's when God begins to convict us and says, those are the ones I'm going to use in your life. See, this is what happens, is that we want to practice on the people that we care about. But God goes... You're not in charge of the fingers that I'm going to use to do the teaching. And this is where God wants us to understand. This is part of his curriculum. Can I just help you today? Count on people offending you. Count on a spouse, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a choir member, a church member, a colleague, an associate, a firm partner, a dorm supervisor, a professor. When people interact, people do and say the wrong things. And what may be surprising is that it can happen right here in the church on Sunday. It can happen before service starts. It can happen during the service. It can happen that someone reached over and took juice and maybe spilled it on you. And maybe they took the cracker that you wanted today and felt that the Lord goes, that's your cracker. They're all the same. They're all the same crackers. Let me just help you with that. The hardest, though, is when the people that you do love and are closest to offend you. Jot this down. Hurt is proportional to intimacy. The closer you are to someone, the deeper it hurts. I've been on the streets of Detroit for 35, 30 years ministering. I've had bottles thrown at me preaching on the streets. I've had bullets fly by me. I've been cursed at. I've been spit on. But that never bothered me. I wasn't offended. I didn't know the person. But man, just have my wife look at me the wrong way. Lord have mercy. All I need is for Cindy to go. And then all that's worse than a gunshot. That's worse than a bottle. 
because hurt is proportional. Even David said that. David said this in Psalm 55, 12. He said, if it was an enemy that reproached me and hurt, hurt me, I could handle that. But David said, but it is you, my, my friend, my companion, my familiar friend, who we had fellowship together because hurt is proportional to intimacy. Man, I've been on both ends. I've been the offender and I have been offended. I have, I have sat in a church. I have been, there have been moments that we took communion just like today. And I sat in a chair just like this waiting to take communion. And the Holy Spirit said, do not touch that until you stand up and go and ask forgiveness of that staff member. And I would look at the band and say, keep playing until I get this right. And I would. I'd have to walk out and make things right. Because it's so difficult sometimes when the Holy Spirit says, you not only have been offended, but you have been the offender at times. And I am telling you, I've said things in sermons. I have said things in, in, in speaking to people that God just had to convict me that God has used people for me to watch out what I say. Because listen to me, folks, words matter today. Words really matter. And they carry away. In fact, Solomon says in, in, in Proverbs 18, they have life and death in it. And even James chapter 3 reminds us that out of this mouth can come bitter water and sweet water out of the same source. And then he says to the church, that shouldn't be this way, my brethren. My brethren, he speaks to us. And that's why I realize how important this is and how important it is for my own life. But since we have and are going to be hurt, what are we supposed to do with that? Because any hurt, jot this down, that is not dealt with will turn into bitterness. Any hurt that is left to stay there over time will morph into bitterness. And that's usually what happens when you're dealing with a bitter person because they didn't take care of a hurtful situation. So I want to answer the question today with two thoughts that I want you to jot down, which is so important for your marriage, for your relationships, for your church life, for your business life, for your business partnership, for your roommate, whether you're going to NYU or Columbia, whether you're working with somebody and it's somebody in a cubicle next to you at your office, this is so important. If I'm hurt, what do I do? You have two choices and I want you to write these two things down and then we're going to begin to leave some space between them. You have two choices when you're hurt. Either you cover it or you confront it. Those are your two choices. You cover it or you confront it. And I'll explain both of those in just a moment. But always keep this in mind. This one overshadowing thought is so important. We base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not what the other person has done to us. Let me say that one more time. Our forgiveness is based on what God has done for us, not what the other person has done to us. The Bible says, if we've been forgiven much, then we can love much. And if we don't understand forgiveness, that means we haven't been forgiven or understand the forgiveness that God has given to us. And this is so important. So I want to walk you through this today because this is literally life-changing. I'm not speaking from simply a sermon. I'm speaking of literally walking through things myself and realizing how important this is from children to marriage to ministry on how important this is. So let's go through this for a second. Number one, jot this down. I want to talk to you about covering an offense. 
Because this is very biblical. One of the stories that just makes me laugh about people that just can't seem to make be right with people is I was reading the story of a man who was rescued after 20 years on a desert island. And as he was standing on the deck of the rescuing vessel, the captain said to me, he said, I thought you were, there, you were stranded alone there for 20 years. And he says, I was. He says, then why are there three huts on the beach? He's, the man looked and he goes, well, that was where I lived. And he says, that one is where I went to church. And he goes, then what's the third? He says, that's where I used to go to church. And so isn't it amazing? You can't even get along with yourself that you're switching churches on a deserted desert island. Some of you are going to understand what we just said there in just a moment. And there are people that literally have so much internal turmoil that, they, that they're offended at everything. Offended. And let me just say this. To cover an offense is very biblical. It is. It's in the Bible. In fact, you don't have to address everything every time. You are offended or I think it's a sign of maturity to cover and to let things go at times. There are some things I think God wants you to absorb, to show and extend mercy. Why? Because I think it builds a mercy account. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Which means my mercy account goes up as I extend more mercy to people around me. And there will come a day when you'll need to withdraw from the mercy account and I want to have a full count of, of mercy that I have shown to people. See, one person said this, if God forgives us, then we must forgive others. Otherwise, we're setting ourselves up as a higher tribunal than God sets up. Let me say that again. If we are to forgive because God has forgiven us, but we won't forgive someone, then you've just set yourself up as a higher tribunal than God. Think how, think how incredible that is when people are here and say, I can't forgive them. Then if God who forgives says, I am God of the universe, I have been offended by all of humanity, but you're here today and go, but I can't forgive. You have just now become, your judgment criteria has gone higher than God's. Think how, how sobering that even is. It's an honor to cover. Jot this down. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. And it's a glory to a person to overlook an offense. Every person should memorize that verse. Proverbs 19.11. It is a glory for someone to overlook an offense. A good memory is fine. But the ability to forget is the test of true greatness. The greatest people I know are not easily offended. They really aren't. I, I came across a word that I've heard so many times. I was reading a biography of Lincoln, and it says that one of the words that it said of him was he was magnanimous. And I'm going, man, I would hear that all the time. What does that mean? When I looked it up, I go, God, I want to be that way. It says you're so high-spirited and high-minded that little things don't offend you. Man, I want to be that way. There are some people, they are offended at everything. They'll walk into church because they didn't walk through this door during greeting time when Pastor David goes, hey, shake the, who's visiting today? And you raise your hand and go, shake the hand next to you. You're going, well, they shook his hand, but they didn't shake my hand. And you're going like, really? Really? Because they didn't shake your hand. All of a sudden, now we're fed. I want to be magnanimous. How do you do that? Well, in order to cover an offense, this is important. Get this verse down. 
you really have to go to the New Testament. And I want you to read, I want to read to you what the apostle Peter said. First Peter four, eight, Peter said this above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins, which means if I can't cover, I must have lost some fervency. Let me say that again. If you find yourself offended, you're offended in the choir because someone is on the mic this Sunday and you thought it was your turn. This was my solo week. I had that anointing on me, but you got row three. Let me just tell you something. I must be touching something here today. I'll just tell you that right now. Let me just tell you something. No problems on row three, but listen, you know what that means? It means it's not the offense. Sometimes it's we've lost the fervency. It means, you know what that word fervency means? It's a word which came to be stretched. It was a word that was used of a, of a runner stretching to get across it. When, when God was saying, I want you to be fervent. He says, I'm going to stretch you a little bit. I'm going to make this a little bit harder than just going like, I forgive you. But God at times wants to begin to strengthen. See, unless you're fervent, you can't cover those things. And that's the challenge. Love covers a multitude of sins when we have a fervency towards the brethren. So that means when we can't cover something, instead of looking at them, sometimes we have to look at our own hearts. And go, God, am I losing a flame? Am I losing a fire that's deep inside of me that you're wanting to deal with? Well, Pastor Tim, how do I, watch this, how do I cover and forgive someone that doesn't think they've done anything wrong to me? So, I was driving in New York. And I couldn't see cars coming on the street in Queens. So I pulled out a little bit. And all of a sudden, this guy comes to a screeching off. Look at me. My, it was totally my fault. So immediately, I just went, I'm mouthing the words, sorry, I am so sorry. That man laid on his horns, on a horn, laid on that horn. And the more I said it, the more, and he was saying things to me that I don't think he was a Christian. And so words were coming out of his mouth. And then he told me that there was one way to Jesus. But not exactly. And the more I apologized, the more irate he became. I go, it's my fault. It's my, I'm, sorry. I'm backing up so sorry. And he, Jesus, and one way to Jesus. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm so sorry. Now here's my question. How do you forgive someone? How do you forgive someone like that? How do you cover? Because he wasn't in the mood to go like, hey, I'm a Christian. I know it was my fault. It was ungodly to pass by the stop sign. How do you deal with that? Jot this word down. It's really Calvary forgiveness. What's Calvary forgiveness? How does Jesus say, Father, forgive them? And nobody was asking for forgiveness. 
they were gambling and beating him and still was able to pronounce forgiveness. Because what God does, there are moments that I think you've got to go all Calvary on people and say, even if you don't think you deserve it, I've got to stand back and go, I forgive you regardless of what you think right now. And that's so important because what we think is I can only forgive you if you think you've done something wrong. And that's, that's the misnomer. I can only forgive you if you're repentant. I can only forgive you. Jesus is forgiving the people that are crucifying him. And was still able to pronounce it. Nobody was down there going, forgive me, except the thief. And that's why this is so huge for us to understand how important this is. There has been one thing that I've shared all over the country that has so hit, hit my heart with, with these numbers. How many remember this? When Jesus said these words, you are to forgive someone. Remember these numbers? 70 times. Okay. And that equals... It's so funny. Everyone's going like, we're going to church. This is not math class. Okay. 490. Let me help you. I'm going like, I would have said that. Okay. 490 is, is what that means. Probably the greatest insight to that passage. When I was reading something by C.S. Lewis, he said this. He says, we think that's 490 offenses that, that I have got to commit that David Ham has 490 times to offend me. And you know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, I think we have a problem here. He says, because so many times it's so hard to forgive one offense. And he said this. He said, really what it is? It's many times one offense that you're forgiving 490 times. That FC, when you don't forgive, you will relive that situation. And there are moments that that thing, how many knows that there's sometimes that thing will come right back up and that's where you're going. I've got to go 490 on that offense because one time is not enough. There are some things that need a 490. How many know that to be true today? And that's the only way to cover something. The way you cover something is to go 490 on it. That's really the only way because there are moments that are going to provoke that. Bring a memory. You're going to hear something, say something. Someone's going to bring up and it's going to provoke memory. And at those moments, I've got to go 490 on something going, I forgive that. I forgive that. I forgive that. Why do I forgive it? Because God has forgiven me. That's my motivation. I can go 490 because I've been forgiven of so much. So my first thing that I do when I'm hurt I have the ability to cover something because God says I can. How do I cover it? When there is fervent love towards people, God said fervency, fervency is enough to cover it even when they don't think they need the forgiveness for that situation. Let me give you a second thing, and this is important. Number two, it's really confronting something. We either cover it or we confront it. Cover and confront are both biblical. When Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of it. Listen, he wasn't giving us a verse for bad attendance in the church. I've heard that verse used more at low attended prayer meetings and meetings than any other. It wasn't Jesus going, hey, listen, you're going to have some meetings. Not many people are going to show up. So I'm going to give you the right words to say. So when you have a prayer meeting and only there's 10 there, just say these words. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because once again, context means everything. That is Matthew 18, and this is what's important. You know how that passage starts? It starts like this. 
If your brother sins, go to you're welcome. If your brother sins, go to them. And then he walks through the forgiveness grid on how to deal with it. And this is what Jesus said. He says this, if you make the effort to forgive someone, he said, and you have two or three witnesses and you come together to try to bring reconciliation. Jesus said, I see reconciliation as so powerful that I will show up at that reconciliation meeting to see brothers and sisters come back to Jesus. He said, you don't even have to have Greg, the music or the choir. If you have a heart to reconcile, Jesus says, my presence will be in that situation. How incredible. Isn't that so much better than a low attendance verse? (laughs) The offended, it says, has to go. The offended, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, then go to them. Boy, that's hard. Because let me tell you what my tendency is. My tendency is to wait for them to come to me. Let me tell you. One of the biggest battles that I've had in our marriage relationship is when I'm offended, I'm not a yeller. I'm not an angry person. I'm a powder. I act like a lady. I'm just telling you that. I'm just telling you. Sorry, ladies. I'm just telling you. I do. So when I'm offended by Cindy, even my children, I sulk until, and I sulk until they come and go, is there something wrong? No. Have I said something? No, nothing. And I started to realize, let me tell you how important this is. At one point I had this revelation and I told Cindy, I said, I need to apologize because when I pout, watch this, I'm manipulating you. I'm making you do something that belongs. It's my responsibility to forgive it. So if you sit here on staff and someone offends you, is there something wrong? No. And all of a sudden, you're trying to set the thermostat by your, ooh, I'm going to say it. I am going to say it. Because I go back to Louisiana. Okay, this is how it goes. Because when people get offended, they want the thermostat of the room brought all the way down so you notice them, so you have to fix it, and they don't have the maturity to come to you. And I told my wife, I said, forgive me for not being mature enough, for not coming to you when I was offended, but I want you to notice me. Now I'm pouting, I want you to come to me, and the responsibility is on me according to Matthew 18. So if you're here today and you found an offense or you're offended, it's not waiting for the person to come to you. It's you going to the person. That's what he said. And isn't it amazing? Here's just a a simple note. Do you know Jesus only used the word church twice in the all four gospels? Twice. The first one was this, that when when he talks about Satan attacking the church, he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. He was speaking about satanic attack, and then the only other time he used the word church is in Matthew 18 in reconciling brothers and sisters. Man, there seems to be a correlation there that you can have, and it is almost as Jesus goes, when I'm dealing with the church, I want them to realize that the battle is going to come from without, and the battles are going to come from within. And you have a chance, and the promise was this. Jesus says, I promise, listen to this, this is huge. 
Jesus says, I promise that I'll make sure that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But you have to promise that when you have an offense, you will go and take care of it. I'll fix the outside, but you got to fix the inside is what you have to do here. This is, this is important because this is where God really wants to help us. Augustine, the, the fourth century theologian, said it this way, Lord, deliver me from this lust of always trying to vindicate myself. Man, help me to realize when something's not right, I'm not going to be right, I'm going to reconcile. And that's where God began to help me. That a sign of maturity, listen church, a sign of maturity is not waiting for someone to come to you, but a sign of maturity is going to them before they confront you. That's what maturity is. Maturity is not waiting and going, okay, you came to me, now I'll forgive you. No, no, no. Maturity is I catch it by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let me come and talk to you. You know what? You know what? has helped our marriage more than anything is, is obviously the pouting wasn't working. I'll tell you that. But I'm going to tell you the second thing. The second thing is when you realize you've offended them even before they have a chance to come to you. That's what maturity is. Before, they, before Cindy or myself have to confront it, we go, I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. You know what blessed me? Just this week, my daughter and I were sitting together at a show and while we were sitting there, she warned me at the very beginning. She says, do not talk to me because I'll talk the whole show. If I'm not sleeping, I'll talk. Who's that? Why are they up there? What's going on? No, it can get bad because it's, it's a bad show. So if, it's, if I'm not sleeping, I'm asking questions the entire show. So literally, I went to my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, and I said, hey, who's she? Shh. And this is what she did. Man, it, it, the show was phenomenal because of that. Then Anna looked at me and she goes, please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. I just, I just wanted to lift my hands and go, thank you, Jesus. This is, that's maturity. That's maturity. Instead of me going, Anna, I'm your father. You shouldn't say that. When I have a question, I expect it to be answered. <laughs> it was her going, Dad, forgive. That's what maturity is. Okay, I want to help you. Is everybody still with me? Okay, okay. Because I'm, I'm, I'm really going to help you on something. I want to tell you how an apology works. Can I help you? on this? Because I don't think any of you know how to apologize. So let me help you. When there is an offense and I have to go, it goes like this. Okay, let me tell you what doesn't work. Sorry, that is cheap. Okay? Sorry means you never owned it. That's why one of the things that we have to say is, I am sorry. Because that means you own it. Not like, so if David offended me, I'm going like, when you should have, you should have said more things about me when you introduced me, because here's the list that I gave to you. And if David, and so if I go, David, you offended me. If David just goes, sorry. Okay. That's, that's cheap. And you didn't offend me, but, but I am sorry owns it. And let me tell you the other part. This is important. It's inserting what you did. I am sorry for saying this this way. I'm sorry for being sharp. I'm sorry for being angry when you talk to me this way. I am, you know what that is? You're owning it and naming it for not only them, but you're naming it for you. And so many people just go, sorry, or, or this one. You ready for this? That one's cheap. This one's gross. I'm sorry that you were offended. Ugh. Oh, 
Oh my, you know what that basically means? That means this. That means I'm sorry you're such a baby. That's what that means. I'm sorry you were offended. I own it. I'm sorry. Name it. Everybody still with me? Here's the, here's the closing. Here's the closing. Would you forgive me? Ooh, that's when it gets hard. Because forgiving is so much harder than apologizing. Because what we'll do with people, man, they, they didn't, I'm not sure if they meant it. That didn't seem sincere. They, didn't, they weren't crying. They weren't doing, okay, can I help you on when someone apologizes? I just want to, I just want to make sure. Who made you the Holy Spirit that you've decided what the motive of some man's heart is? Did all of a sudden we've just got a fourth member of the Trinity that you can see the heart of somebody and go, they weren't sincere. Oh, so you can see hearts of people and decide if something is sincere and real. Stop it. You're not the Holy Spirit. So when you go, that wasn't sincere. Stop that. I, what, what you're saying is, I'm having a hard time forgiving. That's why forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have to forgive. Apologizing is so much easier than forgiveness. Because once you forgive, it's done. Get this down. Proverbs 17.10 says, he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Bam! Think how powerful that is. He who repeats a man. See, because when you forgive something, it's not brought up when things begin to get hot in the house. Because when people get hysterical, they can get historical. But I have to tell you this. When Jesus forgives us, he says, Ephesians 4.32, he says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. Which means when God forgives you, he never brings it up. And when you forgive someone, it's never brought up again. I own it and sorry for take responsibility, please forgive me, closes the deal. That means when you forgive, you can't bring it up again. Well, what happens when I think about it? 490. <laughs> and just keep going. Just every time you're going, oh, I want to bring 490, 490, 490, 490, 490, 490, 490. I can't forgive. I can forgive Pastor Tim, but I can't forget is only another way of saying I will not forgive. <laughs> Forgiveness is that canceled note, torn in two, burned up, so that it never can show up again. That's what it is. He who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. What do I do, Pastor Tim, when I'm hurt? One, we cover it. That's according to the Bible. Why I come, if I can't cover it? First examine yourself. Do I have fervency towards the brethren? Be fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Because so much can happen in, inside here. And Jesus says this, I'll take care of the gates of hell outside. You've got to take care of the relationships inside. That's why when Pastor David talks about a marriage conference coming up, oh my goodness, you need to be there. Because you know what I found out about marriages is when you don't, let me tell you what that conference is. Listen to me close. That conference is an oil change so you don't have to do an engine overhaul. And there are people, there are people that keep ignoring the engine 
I'd much rather pay 40 bucks for an oil change than 4,000 bucks to get a whole new engine in that vehicle. That's why you show up to that. Or if you can't cover it, then you confront it. I don't pout. I don't wait for you to come to me, but I go to you and I try to bring reconciliation to the situation. I apologize. I apologize for the situation. Maturity means, maturity means I notice it before you notice it. I catch it. You know, my friend R.T. Kendall said it this way. He says, you know what repentance is? Repentance and maturity is when you can kind of begin to make the gap between your sin and your, and your apology shorter and shorter and shorter. Instead of waiting years, instead of waiting months, instead of waiting weeks, it's now minutes and seconds. Ah, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, please forgive me for saying this. I should have been more sensitive. And what I'm doing is I'm beginning to bring healing inside. The last thing I want is for the world to come into this church. Listen, listen, for the world to come into this church and see that we can't even get along here with one another. My goodness. I don't want to sit there and go, I don't want, I don't want anyone to ever say, man, it's just like my job inside the church. I don't want anyone to ever say that. I don't want anyone to ever walk into a place and feel the thermostat go down because that person hasn't dealt with something. They haven't stepped up and go, please forgive me, or this offended me. And you know what I tell my wife? I want to just say something. When someone comes to me and says, that offended me, let, let, let me tell you how you can ruin reconciliation. You can ruin reconciliation with an excuse. When somebody has come to me, and I told this to my wife, I said, Every time you come to me, I will never explain and go, well, you shouldn't have done it. Well, this shouldn't have been. Well, if it, I'll just go, if it's important to you, it's important to me, please forgive me. Instead of creating an excuse, well, I was just so busy. Well, I was just, I wasn't paying attention. Well, I was just, it was just a difficult day. No, 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 we offended somebody. Let's just speak to it. Please forgive me. Instead of excusing yourself, please forgive me. And you know what happens if you could learn just to, just to not explain, but to apologize. I'm telling you, there is so much more peace in life, the church, your family, and your home. Because you're not talking about things that took place three weeks ago, three months ago, and three years ago. Remember that time you left the toilet seat up? When was that? 1978. For real? For real? Nothing is worse than walking into a, someone's house and an apology is needed and you continue on like everything is okay. And that's, for some, it's happening right now. As the musicians come, listen to me. Because there's one relationship that you have to deal with and it starts with an apology and that's your relationship with God. Listen to what John said in 1 John 1, 7. He says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you will have fellowship with one another. What he was saying was, when this is right, this can be right. But this never seems to be right if this isn't right. L listen, listen. Because just to come to church, maybe I should ask you, you this way. Because some of you thought that just showing up at God's house, the church, that everything's cool, everything's okay. 
But God, the Bible says, was offended by our sin. I have, I have friends and family that sometimes that it's difficult for them to apologize. So you know what the people will do? They'll try to do more good stuff for you. How many have ever said, no, no, don't raise your hand. Because you're going, no hand raising today. And I've watched people to avoid an apology. They'll do more good stuff to kind of try to fix the atmosphere of the room. When you don't need more good stuff, you need to begin to make things right with the person. And so many times that's what we do with our journey with God. The Bible says God was offended at our sin. There's a sin. There's a note that needs to be taken care of called sin in every one of us, every single one of us. And so where does our journey with God start? Where does your journey with God start? Some people go, well, it started when I got christened. That's good, but that's not, doesn't fix, that doesn't fix the offense. Well, I, I was christened as a baby. That's good. I was, I was water baptized when I was a teen. That's great. I was confirmed in the, in the church. Great. I had my first communion. Those are all good things, but you still have an apology to make. I, 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 I'm, coming to, I'm trying to be a good person. Great. Keep being a good person. But that doesn't fix the relationship with God. The relationship with God is fixed when we start with the apology, when we start with, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. It starts there. It starts to come into God's house and just say, I'm going to do a whole bunch of good stuff, but never deal with the sin issue is one of the most dangerous things and one of the most religious things we can ever do. Because coming to church doesn't make us right with God. Coming to church doesn't make us a Christian. These are just normal. These are just the seats that were in the theater when we bought the theater. This, these aren't magic seats. You don't sit there going, where did they get this material? Is this material from Israel? No. No. Well, I was baptized. Is that water from the Jordan? No. It's good old New York water. That's all that is in there. None of it is. Because just doing, baptized, coming to church, sitting in a chair, doesn't fix that relationship. An apology forgive begins to deal with that relationship. And here's the promise. You ready for this? It doesn't matter what you did last night, if you were up on the, if it was just crazy last night. Here's the promise. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast them aside and say, that's too much sin. Jesus says, I will forgive you. How amazing is that? Well, Pastor Tim, how, how, how does that happen? How do, how do I begin to start that? Jesus said this. Unless a man or woman, John 3, 3, John 3, 5, unless a man or woman is born again, they will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say be a TSCer. You can sit there and go, well, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. I'm Jewish. Jesus never said that. Listen to me close. TSC people don't go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that. So you coming here, listen, Man, we're all a work in progress. All of us are. I still find myself pouting at times. I'm a work in progress. I told you last week, I'm a, I'm, I've, been, I've been in ministry for 35 years and I'm afraid of stuff. Man, we're all a work in progress. But I do know this, is that man, God loves me not for being perfect. 
God loves me not because I'm, I've, I've gotten all my life together. Here's the amazing thing. No matter where you are today, I don't care if you're a CEO. I don't care if you work on Wall Street. I don't care where you live. I don't care on any of that. We all have an apology to make to God and to make things right. Every single one of us. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? How do I become born again? It's as simple as this. It's as simple as ABC. Explain that, Pastor Tim. A, here comes the apology. Here comes the naming it. Admit that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Well, how, do, how, does, how, does that, how does that go, Pastor Tim? It means that when I was born, that there was sin inside of me that wasn't fixed when I got older. When I got older, it just came out different ways. Some of you who go like, wait, man, mm-mm, you don't, you, you, how can I be born into sin? People who say that never had children. How many parents know what I'm talking about? Seriously, have you, did you have to teach your child to lie? Did you have to teach him to be selfish? No, you didn't. You, none of you went like, here's what I want you to say. You said, mama, dada, now say mine. Say no. No, it's, it's, it's in us. Share this. No. Mine. Did you take that cookie? No. It's a sin nature in us. That's what, see, Here's the part that I want you to understand. We can't fix that. There's not a priest, a pastor, a program, or a promise you can make to fix you on the inside. But that's where the B part comes in. B, believe that Jesus died in my place. This is where God made an apology and said, if you come to me, my son died in your place. And he was the one that instead of you dying for your sin, I'm going to let him die for for your sin. Because when Jesus went through all of that for us, li- listen real close. When Je- God sent his son to die on the cross, do you think God sent his son to die for us so you can sit in church for two hours every single Sunday? Do you think that was the whole purpose of him dying for you? Going like, Phew, they're finally in church for two hours. Do whatever you want, but as long as you're sitting in that church. That's not what he did. Man, this is a lifestyle. This is a relationship. This is what he's called us to do. He didn't die on the cross so you can come to church. He died on the cross so he can live inside your heart today. That's why he died on the cross. And finally, it's see, confess him as Lord, saying you're the boss now. When I'm in charge of my life, I find myself making just decisions that hurt people and hurt me. But you're in charge now, God. You're in charge of my life. I want you to be in charge. I want to pray a prayer with you that when Jesus died on the cross for me, this is the apology prayer. You know what, you know what it is? Because some of you are asking this question. We were talking about this on Wednesday at staff. When Jesus died on the cross for the entire humanity, doesn't that mean we're all, he, we're all forgiven? Everything? No, this is what he's saying. I forgive all of you. I just want you to RSVP me. I want you to send an RSVP that says, I receive your forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I receive your forgiveness. Today, you can know that if you were to die today, you are going to live forever with God today. You can know that today. Because if I was to ask you, how do you know you're going there? Well, I'm a good person. I went to church. I was baptized. That's never what Jesus said. You must be born again. I want you to bow your head because I want to pray a born again prayer with you right now. I want you, some of you are sitting here, you're watching on our webcast in the annex, in this balcony, on this floor. 
And the first apology that needs to come is to God himself. Is to say, God, you know what? I thought just showing up was enough. That's like me showing up in a relationship and never dealing with the conflict that was there. The conflict was dealt with at the cross. Now we're going to begin to say, God, thank you for sending your son. I want to receive that forgiveness today. And he promises, regardless of who you are, where you are, he promises to forgive us and change us from the inside out. Do you understand, Pastor Tim, how messed up I am? You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be honest. You don't have to get all cleaned up and then come to church. God says, I just want you to be honest. And God says, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter what sin is there, we're all sinners. But today is going to be the day of forgiveness. This is the first day of your life, of the greatest journey you could ever experience. Today, you can be born again. And as sure as you have a birthday, I want you to have a second birthday or the born again date. Because everyone here, I know I was born on December 22nd, 1963. And I know that I was born again. But today, some of you don't know that. Some of you don't know that, that what your second birth or your born again date is. Today could be that day. How does it happen, Pastor Tim? I just want to pray a prayer, a born again prayer. But if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, man, I'm in this house. I'm in God's house today. But man, I have never made that decision and prayed that prayer to say, God, come in and change me from the inside out. Please forgive me of my sin. And if you're here today, balcony, annex, main floor, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to be included in that prayer. Times Square, look at me. This is a message like this is so important. It allows us to begin to make sure when these brand new coming into the faith, moving closer, moving closer, all these balcony people are coming down, moving closer, come on, moving closer. When we begin to join together on a day like this, let me tell you something. The reason why a message like this is important is when these new family members come in and go, I want to be born again. I want them to come to a place that they're going to know this. The gates of hell won't prevail against this. And when we have offenses, we deal with our stuff here. Some people always go to me, they go, I want to go back to the early church. They had problems in the early church. Man, people getting killed during the offering. That doesn't mean they were perfect, but they dealt with stuff. They dealt with things, widows being overlooked, people lying with the offering. That's okay. We're, we're human. We all got problems. Let me, let me just tell you this. Those at this altar, look at me for a second. One is I'm so excited that you're here today making this decision. That's number one. Can I tell you the second thing is this. Here's our promise. This is not a perfect church, but he is a perfect savior. We're not inviting you. We're not inviting you to fall in love with us. We're inviting you to fall in love with him today. Because if you fall in love with us, we're going to disappoint you. And then you're going to have to either cover it or confront it. But today is a special day. Today is a day that you're going to be born again. I want to, you're not going to be all alone. We're all going to pray this prayer together. Come on, let's close our eyes. Let's pray this together. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead, 
to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.